We began last week talking to you about the subject of the Son of God. Last week we looked at him in the sense of the Scripture called him the Son of Man. That not only was he God, immortal, invisible, all those things, but the Scripture over 80 times calls him the Son of Man, one who came as a human being. And the Bible says that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in Jesus Christ. This week, we're looking at the part of who he is every day in the life of those of us who need him the most. Today, I want to talk about the sinner's friend. What you just observed and what you just saw is found in the book of Luke. And it tells us in that passage where Jesus is telling this story in Luke, that as Jesus sees the whole aspect of those who are there that day and as he surveys the crowd there are the religious ones who are in the crowd and yet Jesus tells a story that really messes up religious people it's interesting to me when you begin to notice that Jesus had a startling affection for the broken and the struggling When you read scripture, you find time and time again where Jesus goes out of his way for somebody who everybody else was trying to get out of their way. Jesus went to a well so he could meet a woman that nobody else wanted to draw water with. Jesus time and again made sure that as he is going that he does not pass up the broken and the hurting and the wounded. Instead, he has a tendency to walk by the religious and those who think they have it all together to go to someone who really is messed up. Time and again, the scripture talks about Jesus eating with sinners. And and there was nothing more scandalous in that day than for a religious leader to eat with those who were not on the same strata of society. The Pharisees had it figured out and and, and they knew that if you went to eat with someone, it meant that you were showing trust, it meant that you were showing respect and even friendship to that person. And they would never have dared to walk into the house of a sinner. I don't know if they thought it would rub off on them. It's kind of like sometimes in, in, in the world today, people say, you know, I, I, I'd like to reach out to people, but pastor, if, you know, uh, they might smoke in my house. My question is, don't you know where to buy an ashtray? Well, they they might, you know, want to partake of a beverage that I don't... See, we, we get so religious that we miss out on who Jesus really came for. Now, here's what's interesting. When we think of Pharisees in our society today, we, we kind of get uh, this, this mental image of, of really bad people. But, but let me explain to you. The Pharisees were not bad people. In fact, if, if you had a child that was growing up in your house and, and you had a neighbor who was a Pharisee, you would probably tell your child, now, when you grow up, I want you to be like Levi who lives next door. Because he's a Pharisee. He's a good guy. He goes to the temple. He, he does all kind of great things. This is who you want to be like. It was the Pharisees who had preserved the Scriptures. 
It was the Pharisees who had protected the Jewish identity all those years and made sure that they kept the feast and they kept themselves separated. They were, these people were respected by the common people. In fact, they were the good guys. And yet Jesus had a way of looking at them and saying, because of your self-righteousness, I'm not impressed with your religiosity and, and he takes this story. Now, now let me, let me kind of contrast this for you this morning. You, you've got the Pharisees who everybody's looking up to, who everybody is, uh, uh, you know, you remember back in the day when everybody was saying was, I want to be like Mike? Remember that when they're talking about Michael Jordan, I want to be like Mike? Well, everybody wanted to be like the Pharisee. They wanted to be like the guy, uh, the gal who was the Pharisee. That, that's what the, the goal was. And yet Jesus comes along and, and he tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I want to tell you something about tax collectors. I don't know about you, but I don't like them. If that's your profession, I love you, but I don't like you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, even in our day, we can, you, know, you, you get one of those letters from the IRS. You, you just see IRS on the, on, the, on the outside of the envelope and you start sweating. Because you just think, man, I am messed up. I'm going to get audited, and, and I, I know I didn't do something right. Now, as, as upset as we are about tax agents today, let me tell you about the tax agents of that day. Basically, uh, the, the tax man of that day was just a legalized robber. He was just a thief. He had the ability to come to your house, and, and let's just use terminology. If you owed $1,000 taxes, he could come to your house and say, you're going to pay me $5,000, and you had no recourse whatsoever. In, in fact, uh, if, if you remember the story of Jesus going to the home of Zacchaeus in Scripture, uh, who, who was a tax collector, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, if I took anything from anybody, I'm going to restore sevenfold. I'm going, I know I took things, and so I'm going to give more back than I ever took. Because tax collectors were hated. Everybody hated the tax collector. And yet Jesus weaves this story about this one who everybody really would seemingly say, this is who I want to be. And Jesus weaves this story. And by the time the story is over, you're not rooting for the good guy. Have you ever watched one of those movies where the bad guy wins? Come on, you ever, you know, Thelma and Louise and, you know, Right? The, the people who do the bad things, they, you know, they, they kind of seem like they're getting ahead and things are going right for them. And, and, and this, this is kind of that story. It's, it's like the religious guy, the good guy, the guy that's got it all together is the one who walks out of this story. Kind of, he, He's not the hero. And, and the guy who's the low-down uh, thief is the one who's kind of the hero of the story. So is that what this story is about, or is this story trying to teach us something that a lot of times we miss out on? Now, now he, here's what this story says to us. I want you to look in your Bible or whatever you've got the Word of God on. Look, look in the book of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter, is the setting of, of this whole uh, parable or this story that Jesus told. And, and he starts off about two men going to the temple. And then in verse 11, would you look in verse 11? He said, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you. Now, that's a good way to start off a prayer. But then he goes on. That, I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like, and he looks across. He looks across the church, and he sees somebody he doesn't like, and he says, even like that tax collector. Huh. 
See, this story, the first thing that this story teaches me, I don't know about you, but the first thing this story teaches me is that we need to resist comparisons. The Word of God tells us uh, that we are unwise when we judge ourselves by ourselves. In, in other words, how many of you know this? How many of you know that there's always somebody that's better than you are? Right? When it comes to living for God and think Christianity, there's always somebody who's doing a little bit better than you are. They read their Bible more this week. They prayed more. They fasted. They, you know, they gave tithes and offering, you know, whatever it is. Right? So there, there's, but the other side of that is, how many of you know there's always somebody that's worse off? Right? And so you look across the crowd, I'm, I know I'm better than them. You should have seen where I saw them this week. It's interesting where I see people week in and week out. I walk into places and people are in place doing things they have no business doing. I just keep moving. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I mess with you. Sometimes I walk up to your table and say, hey, how you doing? And you get this look on your face. Like, oh, no, busted again. Right? See, we, we've, we've got to resist this comparison thing. How many of you know we all want to feel good about ourselves, right? I mean, every, we, we all want to have this healthy self-esteem. We, we want to feel good about ourselves. The problem comes because we know ourselves, right? I mean, we can, we can dress it up on Sunday. We can look good and, and, and kind of, especially if you've been around church very long at all, you, you kind of got the religious lingo down, right? Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> right? How you doing? Oh, man, I am. What, everything is great. We sound like, you know, the Tony the Tiger on the Kellogg's commercial, don't we? It's great. We fought all the way to church, but it's great. We can't stand each other, but it's great. Our finances are messed up, but it's great. We, 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 uh, and, and so what happens is, is that we come into the house of God or, we, or we're, we're in, a, in a time of prayer and, and it's, it's in those moments, uh, maybe it's happened to you, I don't know. Uh, it's happened to me. Let me say it this way. I, I've been in services before. Maybe it's during a song or, or maybe, maybe it's just when one of those quiet moments in service or, uh, or it could be even when a preacher's preaching that, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit picks that moment to highlight something I've been hiding you understand what I'm saying? Well, y'all look really holy right now. I wish you could see your faces. I have no clue what he's talking about. Well, let me just talk about me because I'll make you feel better. Uh, in my life, there are some times that there are some things uh, that I don't want anybody to know. So I kind of hide them. And, and I talk to God, but I don't talk to him about those things. Kind of like if I don't tell him, he won't know. Right? So I'm, I'm kind of keeping those in the back closet. You, you know, you got one of those closets at home? You know what I'm talking about? Company's coming over and you just open the door and throw everything in that closet. Right? I got one of those. I don't know about you. I got one of those. And I kind of stuff some things back in there sometimes. And, uh, and, and what I have found, hmm. <laughs> I want to go some places, Lord, help me. What, what I have found is that I, I can just be in one of those services, and it's, it's like one of these stage lights. It's like all of a sudden, the, the, the Holy Spirit just goes right there on that thing. And, and I feel like if I were to look around, that there's this, I feel like the Apostle Paul and the bright light from heaven shone. I feel in that moment, I think, I think there's this light that's just shining, and everybody in the congregation is looking at me because there's a light over me saying, look at that sin. Look, look at what he's dealing with. 
Now, that's not really happening, but I feel in that moment that's what's taking place. And my natural reaction, I don't know about you, my natural reaction is to go, yeah, but. You got it? Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, but Lord, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as horrible as they are. God, do you know what I saw them doing? So, so this whole aspect of, of, of comparison, 2 Corinthians talks about it, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Here's what it says. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to compare myself to somebody else. He said, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Comparison to somebody else it's never a wise thing. This guy is saying, you know, I thank you, Lord. Look what he said. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not even like this tax collector. And so our issue is, is that we think that our stuff is issues and everybody else's stuff is sin. I've said for years we judge other people by their actions, and we judge ourselves by our intent. And so when I say, well, you know, well, here's what I meant to do, I can kind of justify it. But I look at somebody else and say, look what they did. I can't believe. Right? And, and so what we do is, is that if we're not careful, we tear other people down. Because if I tear you down then I at least bring you to my level and hopefully (laughs) I get you underneath so that I can feel better. But here's what I found out. We can never, ever pull ourselves up by tearing somebody else down. So the Scripture, this story says, don't resist comparison. Don't compare yourself to yourself. Look at verse 12. He goes on. Now, he started off the prayer. He said, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And then he said, I thank you, Lord, that I fast. Do you all see that next word? Anybody see that? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Wow. I fast every day till breakfast. (laughs) Some of you were getting nervous, weren't you? I mean, this guy's saying, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth. I give a tithe of all my money. Look at how good I am. Look at how wonderful I am. See, the second thing this story tells us is that we need to renounce our own righteousness. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now, I don't want to break that down, but that's not a real pretty picture. You know, the the Pharisee's prayer starts off good. I I love the way he started off. Scripture says, here's what he said, God, I thank you. Now, that's a great way to start a prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you. The book of Psalms tells us to give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. I mean, the, the word, he, he, he's, he, he goes, I thank you, Lord, that 
I'm not. In other words, in, in a quick moment, that prayer becomes self-righteous. Lord, look at me. <laughs> Aren't you proud I'm on your team? That's what he's saying. God, you, you ought to feel good that I serve you. you. You really ought to be happy that I chose your team, God. You say, well, Pastor, I would never feel that way. Huh. How often do we look at our lives and because we did something religious, we feel like we're better than somebody else? Well, I got up and went to the 9 o'clock service. Those people in the 11 o'clock service, they just slept in. And I'm more holy than they are because I went to the 9 o'clock service. Right? I went... And if you really want to be religious, you come on Wednesday night. <laughs> Some of you didn't even know the building was open on Wednesday night. <laughs> it is. 7 o'clock, come on down. You might like it. But if we're not careful, we think that the religious acts are what make us righteous. And so we, we kind of walk around like, I got it all together, no problems here, everything's wonderful. And yet the book, the book of 1 John, the first chapter and the ninth verse says, if we confess our sins, kind of indicating we've got some. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not, Lord, I come to you today and you ought to be proud that I'm playing on your team. Lord, I come to you today and... I come in humility because you are God. You sent your only begotten son to die for me. And today, watch this, I revel in your grace because of what you have done. See, I need to be confessing my sins, not everybody else's sins. This guy's confessing everybody's sins. He's not confessing his own. The Pharisee thought that tithing made him righteous. Now, I believe in tithing. I, I believe it, it's a biblical principle all through the Word of God, but I don't think tithing makes you righteous. He thought tithing made him good. Tithing didn't make him good. He thought fasting kind of brought him before God. And, and what he was doing is he was trying to work his way to heaven. Let me help you. I know back in the day there was a song about a stairway to heaven. Y'all all right? And, and, and I know it's got some really good guitar licks in it. But there is not a stairway to heaven. There is not a way of working and getting yourself better and better and better and better and trying to get to heaven on your goodness. You get to heaven because of His goodness. Look in verse 13 and 14. But the tax collector stood at a distance. I love the picture here. You know, the Pharisee walks in. He walks right to the front. Tax collector goes over in the corner somewhere kind of hiding. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you that this man, the sinner, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
The third thing I think this story teaches is it teaches us to rely on grace. I've got to rely on the grace of God Almighty. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. And it is a gift of God, lest anybody boast. The, the, the contrasting picture here is, is kind of interesting. The Pharisee walks in, and, and if you know anything about Jewish worship, they stand very erect. They even at times lift their hands, and, and, and the posture of prayer is, is heavenward. And so the Pharisee is doing that. The tax collector has his head bowed, and he's just doing this. You ever had one of those moments that all you could do is this? You, you didn't have words. You, you, it's just like... I have royally messed up. And, and, and the only thing that he can say is that I've messed up. Now, I know that the religious words there is I'm a sinner. But, but what he's saying is I have royally messed up. And there's nothing, I don't have anything to bring to you today, God, that would recommend me to your presence. So all I can tell you is I'm here and I'm a mess. Look at John, the first chapter, talking about grace and, and law. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I are forgiven. Nothing else. Here's what I know about the plan of God. The plan of God excludes man's merit, man's ability, and man's talent. You don't come to God and say, look at what I've done. Look what I'm able to do. Or look at what I can do. You, none of that impresses God. Have, have you ever seen somebody who struts standing still? You know what I mean? God's not impressed with that. God looks at that and, and he just, it reviles everything about him. See, the Old Testament law taught us what was wrong. And last week we talked about that a little bit. In, in the old, when you read the Old Testament, it kind of seems like God's mad at us. Right? He's got all these things I can't do, these places I can't go. I mean, this is all this stuff. And, and the thing about the law, the Old Testament, was it, doesn't, it does not give you the ability to be free. But then grace comes along. Grace comes into our life. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you something about this. Today, grace is our teacher. The, the book of Titus the second chapter of the 11th verse says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And then he goes on the next couple of verses talking about that it is our teacher. It is, it is the one that takes it. So it's by the grace of God. The grace of God is, is unmerited favor, I understand that. But the grace of God is the power of God. It's an unmerited power of God that comes into my life. And, and so I learned to live the overcoming life through the grace of God. This man, let, let me say this to you. This man walks out, he's still a tax collector. Can I, can I mess with you for a second? Do you know that Jesus chose Matthew, who was what? A tax collector. Now, I don't want to go too far here. Even as he is still walking with Jesus, he is referred to as a tax collector. Wow, that went over good. 
sometimes in your life, are you ready? It takes you a season to leave the old life even when you've been given a new life. Now, we, we see Matthew as he moves on. He becomes, he, he becomes one of the 12 apostles and all the things. We, we know that. He gives his life for Christ. We understand that. But he is referred to in, in the ministry of Jesus as a tax collector. I take from that that he's still sitting by the road taking some money. Now, hopefully he's not stealing at that point. Boy, y'all give me some dirty looks. See, the, the next aspect of grace is this, is that grace comes only through Jesus. It doesn't come because you've done anything. It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through the blessing that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth on Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's what grace is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. So grace comes through Jesus. Now, the three phases of grace, real quickly, I'll give you. First of all is salvation. Grace brings us into salvation. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the richness of God's grace. So salvation. Secondly, Christian living. In other words, everyday life of being an overcomer for Jesus comes through grace. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 says, Through whom we have gained access by faith, that's how I get there, into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, let, let me help you here. We're, we're talking about Christian living. All right. The second thing that comes in my life is, is I'm able to live a Christian life. Now, I don't know about you, and I, I maybe shouldn't tell you this. I'm not perfect. I'm close. However far my arms will stretch, but I'm not perfect. And in my natural self of who I am, when it comes to living a Christian life, I kind of try to figure it out on my own. So what, what my deal is, is that if I don't get caught, no harm, no foul. If you didn't see me throw the elbow, ref, I didn't throw the elbow. Did you see me? Didn't see me? I'm good. And so just in my humanity, I'm always, boy, y'all are, whew, I'm just going to talk to the campuses. In, in, in my life, I've, I've got this, my mind says, how do I circumvent what the Word of God says? How do I get by with it? It's, it's kind of one of those things. How, how do I make this happen without God really knowing I'm doing this? And so if we're not careful, we try to live for God in the, the aspect of our flesh. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to make it happen. And again, if you live in the flesh, if you live, and what I mean by the flesh is in your own effort, if, if I'm living by my own effort, two things happen. One is I get to feeling self-righteous, Pharisee. Look at all I've done. The other thing is I negate the grace of God because I've done it. Instead of understanding it's God's grace that helped me to do it. 
Somebody needs this, so I want you to hear me. The freedom of being a Christian is not in keeping the regulations of Scripture. It's not in doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. The freedom of Christianity is relaxing in the grace of God. When you get up tomorrow morning, you're still saved. When you go to bed tomorrow night, you're still saved. Jesus Christ paid the price, and when you entered into covenant with him, you are going to be okay. And the grace of God is much greater than we understand. So how do I live this Christian life? I live this Christian life not trying to do it in my flesh, not trying to do it in my own ingenuity, not trying to do it because I'm good enough. I live it because I allow the grace, the empowerment of God to come into my life. Now, I'm not talking about continuing in sin. The Apostle Paul, Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? I'm not talking about that. I am talking, though, about living in the strength of another. Let me, let me do this, and I'll wrap it up. Any of you have, when, when you were little, or you, you had a big brother. How many of you had a big brother? Did you ever get into it with somebody? You know where I'm going. On the playground at school or whatever, and they're picking on you, or they're doing whatever, and you just look at them and say, my big brother's going to be here in about 10 minutes. you knew, hear me here, there's a point to this, you knew in your strength you could not overcome what you were facing. But your big brother was able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think according to the power of the Holy Spirit that works in you. Let me help you. Your big brother has shown up. And he has said... I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but I will go with you till the end of the age. So when you can't do it, let your big brother do it. Relax in the grace of God. The third aspect of grace is eternity. Ephesians 2, 7, I won't even read it, but it talks about that grace takes us into eternity. Right? You say, well, pastor, how do I receive this grace? I'm glad you asked. Just the same way that we saw in the story that Jesus told. Here's what Jesus said. He said, first of all, you have to admit your need. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I got this stuff. I got this junk. I got all these things happening. In other words, he's asking for mercy. Mercy is receiving what you don't deserve. And I don't know about you, but there is one scripture that is one of my favorites in the Bible. And here's what it says. It says that his mercies are new every what? Morning. I get up with that one on my mind. Because I wore out mercy yesterday. (laughs) You all right? I wore it out yesterday. But I got up this morning and there's a whole fresh batch of mercy. So I've got to admit my need. Secondly, I've got to confess my past. When he says I'm a sinner, he's confessing his past. He's saying I'm a a sinner, Lord. But that's my past because I'm going to my future. How do you change your history? You change your history by what you do today. 
from this moment forward, what you do from this moment forward changes your history. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so we're all sinners. We got that one. We've all done that. So what I do today changes my history. And lastly, receive your forgiveness. The Bible says there that the tax collector went home justified. That word justified is, is, is an interesting word, and I won't, I won't delve too far in there. But just, just the cliche, just real quickly. The word justified means just as if I've never sinned. Justification. Just as if I've never sinned. I don't know about you, but I am glad Jesus came for sinners. And I am thankful that every moment that I live, that I know that he is more concerned about a relationship that I have with him than he is about rules and regulations. I'm not discounting the rules. I'm not taking away from the word of God. But I'm telling you, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him would be saved truly Jesus is the sinner's friend that's who he is who he was and who he always will be the sinner's friend